Welcome. You're listening to an Ignite Harvest Ministries podcast with Evangelist Jordash Govinda. We pray that this word will inspire, impart, and ignite a passion within you for God and the advancement of His kingdom. This morning I'm going to be ministering on a message about when all hope seems lost. And we're going to go through the story of Jehoshaphat, just like the song that we sung that Jehoshaphat could praise. And we begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. And I'm just going to read the first three verses and we'll go through this passage as we go along. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. Jehoshaphat is facing great difficulty. A great multitude is about to come against him and his people. The situation seems dreadful, is overwhelming, and from a natural perspective, all hope seems lost. Jehoshaphat is overwhelmed and is gripped with fear. And we might be facing an impossible situation. Maybe the economy is causing our businesses to struggle, or maybe years of debt are looking like a mountain before us, or maybe we have a child that may have strayed off the path and is causing us to be filled with fear and worry. Or it might seem that the way God was leading us has suddenly drastically changed. But as we'll see in this passage of scripture, in the midst of impending calamity, that God is able to do something miraculous. However, God needed a people to respond like Jehoshaphat did. So it doesn't matter what's happening in our nation. I still believe, and I know that many of you still believe, that God can still bring a revival to this land, that God can still bring abundance to this nation, that God can still use us to bring a revival. He can still use us to reach out to His people. He can still use us for a mighty move of God. Because God always abounds in the midst of calamity. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're going through. You can apply the very same things that Jehoshaphat did and see God turn a difficult season around. So we're going to look at what he did. And if we want to see any difficult season, any situation, we can apply these same things that Jehoshaphat did and see God move once again. The Bible tells us about Jehoshaphat that he was actually a very good leader in Israel. And he even led the entire nation to a rebirth of the Spirit. There was a renewal, a revival that took place. In 1 Chronicles 19 verse 4 it says, King Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people, from Beersheba to the hill country, of, and he turned them back to the Lord. So that's a good thing. That's a great success. Jehoshaphat had just brought revival into the land. He had turned the hearts of the people back to God the Father. But just as we notice in life, sometimes we're at a mountaintop and another time we're walking through a valley of the shadow of death. It seems that sometimes things are going so well and all of a sudden something happens that causes us to be shaken, to be filled with fear, just like Jehoshaphat was. And that's what happens and where the story picks up. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 2, it's the same scripture that we read. And just from verse 2, it says, Some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. And here we'll look at five things that Jehoshaphat did when he was overwhelmed. And these are the exact five things 
that you and I should do when we find ourselves in a similar experience. The first one is that we need to turn to God for help. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Notice that there was fear in Jehoshaphat. And although he feared, his response was still to turn back to God. He didn't look for a natural solution. He didn't turn to a psychologist or psychiatrist or a counselor. He didn't call his friends from other camps who might have had armies as well. He turned to God. How many of you here have ever feared and acted impulsively? I know I have. But here, he does the exact opposite. Often when we feel overwhelmed, we do what seems to be logical, like planning. We ought to plan but we ought to seek God and pray first before we plan. Prayer should always be our first choice when we feel overwhelmed and not the last resort. But oftentimes it's the last thing we do. You often hear people say things like, all we can do now is, is pray. And people say, is it that bad that all you can do now is pray? There's nothing else that you can do except pray. Yet this is supposed to be our first response, not our last response. Psalm 61 verse 2 says, From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Who is this rock? He was the same rock in the wilderness that gave the children of Israel water. He was the same rock that he told Peter he'd build his church on. He's the same rock of our salvation. He's the same rock, the same fortress, the same hill, the same mountain that we can put our trust in. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we can turn to God and say, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He is higher than we are. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And He knows the solution. And He knows how things will eventually turn out for our good. The rock is Jesus Christ. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4, it says, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. This leader, this phenomenal leader, gets the entire nation to begin to pray. There's no problem that's too big for us to pray about. And there's no problem that's too small for us to pray about. If it's big enough to steal some of our time and make us worry, then we can pray about it. And if it's small enough to steal some of our time and make us worry, then we can pray about it. In Philippians 4.6, it speaks about not being anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to God. So it doesn't matter what you might be going through. Whether it's a tiny situation in the eyes of people, you can bring it to God. Or whether it's an overwhelming situation that shocks people, you can still bring it to God. Every situation you can bring to Him in prayer. Number two, we need to focus on God and not the problem. In Mark 11, 21 to 24, it says, and Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. Almost as if Jesus' words meant nothing earlier when he cursed the fig tree, because he's now surprised. And some of us can be in that same boat. When we pray a prayer and God answers it, we actually are surprised. We're like, wow, God, you actually answered this prayer. But Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. So whoever says to this mountain and you sitting here 
and myself as well is a whoever. And he says that we can pray regarding whatever. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. In this portion of scripture, Jesus is telling us that we are to speak to our mountains, not describe or analyze them, not look at the mountain, go from family member or to friend and explain your mountain over and over and over again, filling your fear, filling your doubt, because oftentimes that's what we do. We have a great mountain before us and we want the whole world to know about our mountain. But Jesus actually says that we must speak to the mountain. When we focus on God, we are filled with His faith in His ability. We can then speak to our mountain and believe for the desired result. Learning to speak to our mountains helps us to grow in strength. And when we see those mountains moved by God, we'll then be propelled to the next level in our faith. Jesus commands us to speak in the face of such obstacles. And it's not a figure of speech or a superstitious exercise. It's an act of faith where God makes the impossible become possible. And He makes His Word come to pass. He's able to move any mountain that's standing in our way. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. And this phrase in the Hebrew is actually a play on words, with the word peace being shalom. A lot of us know it meaning peace, but it actually means a whole lot more than that. It speaks of peace, abundance, health, prosperity, stability, firmness, and all good things that you can add into it. And when he sings, he's basically using the same word twice. He says, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, putting greater emphasis on this word. So God will keep you in perfect health, in perfect peace, in a perfect state of mind, in a perfect firmness and security. And the word mind there is not just as we think of mind, but rather a creative imagination. When our imaginations are firmly founded on, on God, we can begin to think about the things that He will do. We can think about all the possible ways that He can bring a breakthrough in our lives. And we can be firmly founded in His shalom peace. When we look at Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, we, we can expect Him to flood our hearts with the very same thing. And these four things that Jehoshaphat prays are really all about God and not the attackers who are coming to destroy Him, as we'll see. When you pray, you're supposed to turn off your focus from the problem and back to God. Not reminding yourself if you don't have enough money or energy or health or wisdom or opportunity. You turn it back to God and remember He is the solution. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look at yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be addressed. Jehoshaphat makes a direct choice to do three things when he focuses upon God. The first thing when we do is we remember how big God is. When we're feeling overwhelmed, we need to focus upon not how big our problem is, but how big our God is. The bigger you realize God is, the smaller your problem seems. If He can create the heavens and the earth, if He can create the universe, the stars, the planets, and all those things, how small is that problem for God to fix? If He can create man out of dust, if He can breathe a living spirit and bring life on this earth, how small is that problem for God to fix? Problems shrink when God expands in your life. The bigger your God is, the smaller your problems are. And that's the first thing he prays in verse 6. Jehoshaphat says, O Lord God of our fathers, 
Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to stand against you or to withstand you? When those armies are coming against him, he doesn't focus upon those armies. He looks to God and says, no one is able to withstand you. He's putting the fight in God's hand. He's saying, God, they are not able to fight you. He removes himself from the equation and he calls God out saying, they're fighting against you, God, not me. Point B, I remember what God has done in the past. Jehoshaphat said in verse 7, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? He's reminding God of how he's helped this nation several times before, many, many times in the past. He says, weren't you the one that brought us here? You brought us here in Abraham, in that promise. Then the family went down to Egypt and got enslaved for 400 years. And then you sent Moses to bring them out and you took care of them and surely you can take care of us. He tells God, I know who you are and I know what you can do because I've seen and I remember what you've done. So when you're in a situation, an overwhelming situation where all hope seems lost, you must remind yourself of what God has done. God did it several times in the past in the Old Testament where he would come to a patriarch and say that I am the God of your father. I am the God of your father, Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and Jacob. He's reminding the person he's speaking to that I was the God of your fathers and you saw them do mighty things and you saw me work in their lives and I'm the same God that you serve today and I can do the same things for you. With Jacob, he turned a deceiver uh, into Israel and he used him mightily. With Moses, God parted the Red Sea. If God can part the Red Sea, then surely He can make a way for you and I, regardless of anything. It doesn't matter what man says. It only matters what God says. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. He can put money into the fish's mouth. He can even multiply loaves and fish if you need abundance to occur in your life. And if He can raise Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit lives inside of us. God can do anything. If God did it before, He can do it again. Amen? Eli Elisha wanted to receive the mantle from Elijah. He struck the waters and he said, where is the God of Elijah? And he didn't do this because he had forgotten. He did this because he remembered what God had done for Elijah. He struck it down and he said, I've seen Elijah do this. Now where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God who did these miracles through Elijah? Surely he is the same God. Surely I have the same mantle and I can work the same miracles. So when you're facing a problem, you can shout to God, where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Abraham? Where is the God of Isaac? Where is the God of A.A. Allen? Where is the God of all these revivalists of old? If God can use them and work in their lives, surely God can do the same in our lives. For it's the same God that we serve. In Psalm chapter 42, verses 4 to 7, it says, These things I remember. And David is now talking to himself. Because as we read the Psalms, we see he would often go in cycles where he'd begin to be low in spirit or he'd begin to be depressed or the problems would start to overwhelm him. And then he reminds himself, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And he speaks to himself again. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Sometimes we've got to speak to ourselves and tell ourselves, why are you so downcast? Hope in God. 
For I shall praise Him again, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's talking to himself, reminding himself of what God has done. And if you feel that, God, that there's, there's, you haven't really seen a notable miracle in your life, you've got the entire Bible to remind God of who he is and remind yourself of what he can do. And see, I remember what God has promised. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all of God's promises find their yes of fulfillment in Him. This is Jesus. And as His yes and our amen ascend to God, we bring Him glory. Through Jesus, we have access to all of the promises of God that we find in Scripture. And Jesus is saying yes, amen, and we say yes, amen. And because we're in Jesus, His yes, our amen, join together, and we receive the promises of God in our life. It's all through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps His promises. Worry is a sign that we aren't focusing on God's promises. Worry is a symptom that reminds us that, hey, I'm worrying, which means I've forgotten God's promises. I've forgotten what His Word says. So when you begin to worry, take it as a signal to turn back to His promises. The third thing that Jehoshaphat did that we can do is admit our inability. In verse 12, it says, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So when we admit our inability to accomplish the task at hand, and we remind ourselves that God, our power is in you, our strength is in you, the Bible speaks of how His strength is made perfect in weakness. And when we admit our weaknesses, we give God an open door to pour out His strength in our lives. And His strength can strengthen us and give us the ability to overcome. When great trouble comes our way, we must remember the sovereignty of God. Sometimes situations or circumstances happen that are beyond our control. We can't reason, we can't question, and we struggle to get answers. And in times like that, instead of going in a cycle of questioning or denying the existence of the problem, we must accept that we are not able to know or solve all things in our ability. But God knows all and we can trust in Him. The first step to any kind of recovery is denial. We realize that we are not God and that our victory is totally dependent upon His strength and empowerment. We tell God exactly how we feel, just like Jehoshaphat did. We say, God, here's how I feel. We are powerless against this mighty army. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you and we trust you to help us. And then we see God's response in chapter 20, verse 15. And he says through his prophets, listen all of you, all of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours. The battle is not mine. But the battle belongs to God. So some of us have been worrying for so long about finances, about relationships, about our dreams or careers. And we're just about ready today to say, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I'm on the verge of giving up. And God will say to us, great, it's about time. 
now we can finally get something done. When we choose to stop fighting our circumstances in our own strength and rely on Him, we can finally start seeing Him work in our lives. And there's only one thing or two things that we really have control over, and that's our attitudes. You might not be able to change the problem, but you can change your response towards the problem. You can change your attitude towards the circumstance. And we do have control over how much we choose to trust God in our situation. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, it continues, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still. Imagine being asked to stand still when there's three armies rising up against you. And all you've got to do is just stand there and trust God. And see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. In Mark chapter 5, 36, it speaks of Jesus paying no attention. It says, Jesus paid no attention to what they said, but told him, don't be afraid, only believe. And what's happening in this portion of Scripture, the context is that, that Jairus had just come to Jesus saying, my daughter is at the point of death, and I, I need you to come pray for her. And Jesus agreed that he's going to go and pray for her. But while he's walking there, the woman with the issue of blood appears. And we all hear the story of what happened with the woman of the issue of blood. Jesus is on an urgent mission. Someone is at the point of death, but still, when she touches him, he still stops and gives her that moment. And then Jairus' servants come back to him, or people from the synagogue come back and say, it's too late, tell Jesus just never mind, because your daughter is dead. But Jesus responds to them saying, don't be afraid, only believe. He ignores the negative talk. He ignores the verdict. He ignores the conclusion of the circumstance. And what might seem as a delay, what might seem as devastation, God can use that delay to, be, to have a greater demonstration of what He can do. He can use any delay, any devastation to demonstrate His power in a greater way. Because what we see is His servants believed that Jesus could heal the daughter, but they didn't believe He could raise her from the dead. But Jesus says, don't worry, only believe, because he had full confidence in the power of God upon his life. He had full confidence that even though she died because of a delay, he can still raise her from the dead. Amen? What does it mean when God says, I want you to stand still? It's an attitude of quiet confidence. And that was, that's what Jesus had. He didn't need to debate. He didn't need to explain himself. All he said was, just believe. It's the attitude that says, God... I can't handle this problem. I don't even know how to handle it, much less have the power. But I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to stand still in quiet confidence. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Two things that everybody wants in life is stability and success. When you put your faith in God, you'll be able to stand firm, trusting in His character and trusting in His word. The fourth point and the fourth thing that Jehoshaphat did was we need to thank God in advance. In John chapter 11, verse 41, it says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And this was before he commanded Lazarus to come forth. He was thanking God for the victory that he knew and was fully persuaded in that God would bring as a result of his prayer. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, it says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, 
for His mercy endures forever. And they were part of the tribe of Judah. The king Jehoshaphat was the king over Judah, which actually means to praise. And we know that it's not a unique portion of Scripture. We see many times where God commands His people to praise in order to see a breakthrough. In Joshua, they marched around the walls of Jericho and they praised and they shouted and they saw it fall down. Praise will release victory. In Psalm 22 verse 3, it speaks about how God is enthroned upon our praises. So when we praise, we invite God's ruling presence into the situation. When we praise God despite the circumstance, we glorify His name and we cause His mighty power to come into the situation. We command His authority, His rule, His empowerment and His holy reign into the place. And His praise will confound, the, the praises of God will confound the enemy. Praise and thanksgiving are the highest forms of faith. In Romans 4, 20 to 21, it says, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he, what He had promised, He was also able to perform. And this is talking about Abraham. Abraham was about 75 when he received the promise of God that he'll become a great nation. But it took about 25 years for him to see the promise of God happening in his life. But notice what it says. It says that he was strengthened in faith. The time that he was spending waiting on God, he was becoming stronger and stronger. And a lot of times the opposite happens to us. As we wait and wait for the promise of God to happen in our life, our strength starts to fade, our faith starts to fade, and we begin to become weaker. But when we keep our eyes focused upon the promise, it will become stronger and stronger. The longer you wait, the stronger your faith shall become. Because every time Abraham went outside, he looked upon the stars, he saw the sand, and he remembered the promise that God had given him. He was constantly reminded. It was constantly before him. He couldn't run away from what God was telling him. So imagine this picture. Over here on the hills are three enemies, the, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Meunites. And these three enemy nations are getting ready to come and attack Israel. They see over here the Israeli army, and the king asks to put the the choir and the musicians at the front of the line. That's a weird situation. The enemy is over there looking like what's going on. They have no weapons. They just have instruments and they're starting to sing. And even the choir is wondering like, why are we here? We don't have any weapons, but we're just being asked to sing. It was a confusing situation. But this is a symbol of thanking God in advance. When we thank God after something happens, that's called gratitude. But when we thank God before something happens, that's faith. The highest form of faith is thanking God before we can get the answer. While we're working on the prayer, God is working on us. But while we make the request, what do we do while we wait? We thank God. We say, God, you know the request I made the other day. I thank you that the answer is already on its way. You just keep thanking and thanking Him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we continue in 22 and 23. It says, at that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mansia to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. When Israel began to stand and thank God in advance, God caused a miracle to take place. The enemies of Israel began to take each other out. When your focus is on God and not your circumstance, 
When your focus is on God and not the enemies, your enemies will begin to take themselves out. Every problem will begin to take itself out. Every enemy that has risen against you will begin to take itself out. And the enemies that you have will begin to get sent forth seven different ways. Amen. And the last point is we can find the blessing in the bad. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 20 to 26, it says, So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day, because the people praised and thanked God there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. And God wants us to live not in the Valley of Battles, but the Valley of Blessing. He doesn't want us going through life, battle after battle, flapping our wings, trying to fight it on our own, saying that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. He wants us to live in the Valley of Blessing. And He wants to bless you so much that you have enough to share with other people. You can't even carry it all at one time. When God gives you the victory, there's enough spoil to share with others. When you have a victory in an area, you can begin to share that victory. You can begin to impart that victory to other people. Where you had a test, suddenly it becomes a testimony. Where you had a mess, suddenly it becomes a message of hope. Where there was battle, suddenly it becomes grounds of victory and blessing. In 2 Chronicles 2.27, it says, Then all the men returned to Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. This verse says that the Lord had given them the victory. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. They didn't buy it. They didn't resist it. It was just given to them. It was all by God's grace. When we let God fight our battles, it's a witness to everyone around us. It's a testimony to everyone who is watching us go through that battle, even unbelievers and enemies. Because a lot of times, unbelievers are very curious at the Christian. When they see you responding differently to situations, they wonder, is their God really going to come through for them? And when they see God begin to bless you, when they see victory become your portion, then they begin to give glory to God knowing that the God you serve is the one that I should serve as well. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, 29-30, it says, When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord Himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. We now find that the kingdom is finally at peace. When we choose to do things God's way, we can experience peace and security in our lives. God is able to take any situation and use it to develop us and demonstrate His glory. In 1 Peter 5, verse 10, it says, Then after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace, who has called you to share in His eternal glory in Christ, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, He will set you firmly in place and build you up. And He has all the power needed to do this forever. Amen. Trials are temporary in the sight of eternity. And the last verse, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for God, 
to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So it doesn't matter what situation that you and I are going through. It doesn't matter how hopeless the situation seems. God can use that when we choose to respond to Him correctly, when we choose to focus upon God and not the problem, when we choose to remind ourselves of what God has done for us, remind ourselves of how big God is, remind ourselves of the promises of God. When we praise Him before the victory, we'll begin to see God begin to work on our behalf. Amen. If you desire to see the nations of the earth transformed by the power of the life-changing gospel, become a partner with this ministry. For more information, go to our website, igniteharvest.com.